la 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 So manifest the greater this And things all good cause I say it is Investing in the wealth Real generational wealth is mental health It's an inside game, no toxicity Let's talk and more listening Ladies and gentlemen And now introducing David McCullough Founder of Inception The first mental health gym all right, everyone, welcome back to the Inner Wealth Podcast. I got a special guest here. I got my boy, Clever, here. What up, though? What up, though? What up, though? From the D, man. Yes, sir, man. First, I want to say, Dave, I'm extremely proud of you with the podcast. Like, I've been tuning in. It's been great watching the episodes. It's just everything you've been doing with the Inception brand. Everything you talked about is coming into fruition, and you're killing it, man. Congrats. Oh, I appreciate it. When you're in it, you don't feel like you're killing it. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in it, you feel like you're getting killed, <laughs> you know? Everybody on the outside, though. You know, they see it as something different, but uh, but I appreciate it, man. Um, and just to let everybody know, uh, Dad's here. When I first met you, I think I found you on IG, mm-hmm. and um, I just reached out to you, man. I was like, yo, come on in, and uh, let's see if we got some synergy together. And, uh, man, you came in, and, dude, ever since you came in, I've always known you. You always want to come and try to add value to a situation. Appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? You. Like, it's like, where can I add value? And Dad's is always like, man, I just want to add value, man. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm real big on that. And what you had, when you first reached out to me, like, it wasn't really a way to really explain Inception to somebody because mental health, number one, in, in our community is not something that was hugely promoted or mm-hmm. black people needed to get involved with. You was like, yo, just come in and check us out. So I came in, tried the services. And like I said, I'm like, wow, more people need to be exposed to this that look like me. Right. And people in my circle, I have a, a following that people that support and trust my opinion. So I'm like, I want to be able to share this with as many people that look like me, that's going through things. And I, you know, appreciate you for allowing me to be able to be a part, you know, of the Inception family and yeah. bring bring people in. And everybody I've brought in has fell in love with I Inception. I mean, you, you brought... You brought damn near the city. You know what I'm saying? I mean, got me on the radio, brought the city in. So I, I always appreciate you, man. I always try to, uh, I always think about you in, in anything I'm doing. Like, how can I add them to, to what I'm doing to uplift you? And, you know, I just came back from um, from InvestFest okay. with uh, um, Earn Your Leisure's InvestFest. And what I experienced out there was being first being in Atlanta. I haven't been back in Atlanta to I was in Atlanta maybe in 2005. I mean mm. other than going to the airport, but what I noticed out there and me and you talk about this quite a bit is that out there and I'm sure some people don't do this, but they collaborate, man. Yeah. They collaborate and uh a gentleman by the name of Lynn who actually is a client of mine who uh, put me up in his Airbnb and hosted me while I was out there, which was great. But he was showing me like every business, like yo, this is black owned, this is black owned, and every one of them was like, wow, mm-hmm. that's black owned. 
Yeah. So I came back from that whole situation um, just energized. And I, I again, I thought about you when I was out there because it was one of that things that we always talk about from being in, in Detroit is, are we collaborating with one another? Yeah. See, what I think the advantage Atlanta has over a lot of markets is pretty much what Atlanta is opportunities in abundance. And like mm-hmm. here, as a Detroiter, we feel like, only have one opportunity so it's like no i can't collaborate i got to figure it out on my own Mm -hmm. i can't allow for somebody to come in like ptsd from collaborating working with somebody and your ideal you know gets taken away from you or whatever Mm -hmm. so we focus on that but we're getting a lot better because there's a lot more opportunities coming here a lot of light on the city so i think we're in a good space though yeah um and i i i I always i always you know look at mental health in that in that regard, because that's what mm-hmm. you just said. You know, so I got PTSD from yeah. working with somebody. So now you're scared to work with somebody. You, you know, you don't want to share something because you don't you want your shine and you don't want nobody to take your shine. And it's all understandable. But at the same time, man, it's like there's like where there's lack, mm-hmm. there is major opportunity. Yes, you know. So again, when but from from my experience with you and everybody you brought in, everybody been cool with me, man. And and um, you know, so and then too, we found out too that we had a a, a longer history that we didn't even know about. Yeah, Corinthian Baptist Church. Uh, yeah, that's my that's my uncle uh, Joseph Jordan who passed away some years ago. That's like a big uh, staple in my family. And to come to find out that your mom and my cousin were like like real close to each other, so I was mm-hmm. like, what? <laughs> Full circle moment, man. So I don't believe anything's, you know, by accident. So it's like the dots get connected and come full circle. Yeah. So how did you um how did you get the name Clever, first of all? Okay. So originally when I started, you know, my name is my government name is Desmond Lester. So when mm-hmm. I, I started working in radio, I started working for WJLB um back in the day and um my name, you know, is Desmond, but it's also another Desmond that worked in radio as well mm-hmm. named DJ DDT. Shout out to Big Bro. But he, he they called him Dez, and they would mm-hmm. call me Dez, and they would be like, which one are you looking for, the, the older Dez or the young one? Young Dez. Mm-hmm. So I was young Dez throughout the station. I'm like, okay, you got young GZ, you got all these people. I'll roll with it because mm-hmm. that was the thing at the time. But I wanted to create my own identity, and I felt like I wanted a name that said something about my personality. And I'm always been the type of person to look at stuff creatively or from a unique way, not better, just with my own unique way. And people say, oh, that's that's clever. And so I'm like, that's a name that embodies my personality. Like, I feel like I'm a very intelligent person. Mm. A lot of people tell me that. And I'm a creative person. So it was born clever. It was kid clever at first. Mm. And then, you know, through conversations, even with you, <laughs> I talked to you. I talked to uh, my homie um, G-Raw. And he was like, man, you've been doing your thing long enough, man. You need to drop the kid. So yeah. I had a little Bow Wow moment. Yeah. So I, I, I had that conversation with you. I was like, man, it's, it's, you yeah. got to drop that. But. Yeah. But see, it wasn't because, like, the kid Capri or whatever is like, I, I always have looked younger. I have always had a youthful look. So I look younger than what I was. But, yeah. But I get it when you get people younger than you calling you kid all the time. Like, it's a little different. So it's clever. Like like Lil Wayne. Yeah. But he always going to be little, though. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so it, it's more fitting. But right. but when you're a grown man and you want respect as being a grown man, yeah. you got to drop the kid. So when did you make when did you make the uh, Clever Vision? Um, I made the Clever Vision and um, CleverVision.com, which is 
my platform. It's a multimedia platform. We do sit down interviews, mm. create content, interviews, interviews, um, web series, and a lot of comedy skits on there. But I created that in 2011. Uh, it, mm. it debuted 11 11. Um, oh, that's dope. Yeah, it debuted on that day. Ironically, that was 10 years ago. Mm. But I created it because I worked in, my background was in radio. I was working at WJLB. I worked at WJLB for five years and I um, was producing. I was creating shows. I was Dr. Darius' show producer for like three, how, four how years. How were you? I started in um, doing everything and I was 19. How, so so let's, let's go there. Like, how did you, being a 19-year-old, Mm-hmm. How do you break into that? Like, what even gives you the the courage and the mindset to be able to say, I'm 19 and I can go work with these people? Well, what happened? My first, very first job, just telling my age a little bit, was at Farmer Jack. So I was mm-hmm. working at I was working at Farmer Jack, and um, I didn't go away to school my first year because we had a house fire. We'll get into that as well. Mm-hmm. So we had a house fire. I stayed home, and I went to Eastern. I mean, I went to Oakland Community College. Mm-hmm. And at Oakland Community College, um, you know, you're in the cafeteria, whatever, you get cool with people. So I'm in the cafeteria and I met um, this brother by the name of Markel Lane. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting there talking and another dude that I ended up getting cool with later on came in the cafe. Well, I got cool with him from shopping. His name, um, Joe. He created Joe's Coney Island, Joe Lawton. Okay. And um, Joe came in and he gave me a flyer to a party. And I was just like, wow, this is what I want to do. I want to, and my, uh, Markel at the time, he told me, he's like, what, what do you want to do? I'm like, man, I want to, you know, throw parties. I want to get into that avenue, be on the radio, working radio. He was like, you want to do radio? I'm like, yeah, man, I always wanted to work with JLB. He said, funny story, two weeks ago, I just got hired at WJLB. And he was like, you know, it's great. I interned for over a year. He was like, if you serious, man, bring me your resume down here and mm-hmm. I'll take it down there. I brought Two copies of my resume it was laminated, and I end up he ended up getting me in for an internship with okay. Chris Kelly. So I was Chris Kelly at WJLB, um, show producer, killed it, did everything, worked a year and a half with that. Then I went and worked with Dr. Darius and yeah. became his show producer. That's a brief rundown. So at 19, now, now you work with kids too. Mm-hmm. What do you see for this generation why maybe they, they don't have the mindset to do things that that you're doing at that age or other people that you've made, we've seen growing up. Yeah. I think, um, especially as people, especially being melanated people, I feel like we're great at whatever we're exposed to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of opportunities and stuff, we really don't get readily exposed to it. Like it's mm-hmm. like, why isn't many of us ice skating out here? Well, how many people, you know, that got ice arenas or access to right. ice arenas. So right. I think that that's a big thing. Like I was blessed to be able to have an opportunity to mm-hmm. intern. I've always I met Mason when I was in the third, fourth grade. Mm-hmm. I met him at the Detroit Public Library, and he was like, "Oh, you can come up to the radio station." But I never got the opportunity to get there. But ever since then, it was always in my mind. Like I really want to check this out. When he gave me the possibility, like I can go to the radio station, I can be there. It always stuck with me. So that mm-hmm. opportunity always lit a fire under me for to get there. So I'm. I was 10 at the time. Then mm. by the time I got 18, 19, I was able to enter a radio station. So I think that's what it is, exposure. Yeah. And I had a family member who was with Mason for some years. Wow. Really? So so that that gave me, you know, I earned, I had somebody to look up to in that regard. Like, oh, they're on radio. Okay, mm-hmm. that's something I can do if I want to do it. But like you said, but now the, the game has changed where anybody can pick up a phone 
and do what they want to do. And we just off air were talking about uh, uh, podcasting, and you were mentioning something about um, Kev on stage. What was, what was he saying? Kev on stage, he got a, a dope soundbite from one of his interviews I seen. He was like, in order to be great in the podcast lane, you have to, or whatever you want to do, you mm-hmm. have to get used to those times where nobody's paying attention to you and you can't get discouraged from those times. You got to maybe do 20, 30 interviews or on your podcast and have less than 500 views and be okay with that and not mm-hmm. stop Yeah, because it's the consistency like that, that. That's the number one component I say in life. Yeah. Just being consistent and just making it a habit and keep going. Cause eventually I've never seen someone with a goal that never never quit, that didn't get close to their goal. Right. It's always the ones that quit that never made it's it. It's consistency over intensity. Facts. And some people, they want to come in and be very intense and have all this steam, but that fizzles out. Mm-hmm. It's better to run that marathon than try to come in as, as a sprint. So you created a uh, clever vision, and mm-hmm. you also were doing something with uh, comedy, right? Mm-hmm. And how was how was those things when you first started? Was it like that where you you know you kind of had to, well, call it suffer through it? Um, well, that's a, that's a great question. With Clever Vision, it was it was a little bit more difficult because that was early on when I started Clever Vision. So I had to get over to the fact of like, okay, what I'm gonna do is gonna be one interview that take me out of here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring in drones. I'm gonna bring in makeup artists. I'm gonna do live performances. I'm gonna do all that, and then the interview may get 500 views. Mm. So I'm just like, it's not the production value that you need to worry about up front. You know, make it as best as you can, right. but make it as best as you can that's not, that's not going to hinder you mm-hmm. and not going to stop the process. Because if you got four cameras, as you know, it takes longer to edit like yeah. stuff with with major production behind it. So it was difficult at first to build the audience, but. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. After a while, while, it got better and better. And by the time I started the Clever Vision Going Up comedy show, shout out to uh, my host, comedian Josh Adams, um, it was a little bit easier because I had been known for doing the interviews and stuff, and I wanted something to promote Clever Vision weekly mm-hmm. and um, make people, you know, watch our interviews and, you know, check us out more. Check out, go log on to the website. Yeah. I want you to hear that name in your head, drilled in your head every week. So that right. way you can be like, you know, let me check out the website. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit easier with that because, you know, we had followings and it was cool and it was a niche at the time. Like comedy for people that go to clubs in the city of Detroit, it really didn't exist at the time we were doing it. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Because I don't remember anything that was comedy driven other than something that was coming into town. Yeah. Well, you had like Bakers on, on Monday. Yeah, Bakers. But, but that wasn't really. Um, and then you had They Say on Thursday. But that was like for the open mic. That was an open mic. Mm. And then you had uh bakers on monday it was a comedy open mic but those weren't the people that were going to the club by me working in radio Mm. i met people from all walks of life and club goers and i had those people i had rappers mixing in with politicians and those Mm. it was just a beautiful like melting pot of people from all different backgrounds and we had no issues at the people just came out to laugh every tuesday 
I've been to one of your comedy shows too, and um, you know, typically when you go to comedy shows, it's always like back in the day how it was. It's like uh, that wasn't that funny, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like the talent didn't seem like they were as sharp. Mm-hmm. But when I went to the comedy show, first of all, Josh is like hilarious. Amazing. He should, he should easily be in on everybody's screen. Facts. Easily. Um, so when I saw him and I watched him on Instagram, I'm always laughing at, like literal laughing, not yeah. like just because you know him, yeah. you know, but literally like, nah, that dude's hilarious. Um, but one thing I was, uh, I was impressed about that, but I was also, it was cool to see your mom there yeah, and your sister there, you know, and, <clears throat> and, and helping you with the event. Like how much, how much do they p- play a role in? what you've created over these years. Oh, wow. Like, um, huge support, huge support system. Like, with mm-hmm. my family, like, you know, as you know me, family is is first, most important mm-hmm. thing in my... But it's, like, really dope to have them, like, finally, you know, get and understand you and what you're doing and see where you're trying to go. At first, I know my mom was probably looking at me like, like, what are you trying to do? Like, right. I don't... This you, That's that's different. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, she finally understand, like, oh, I see where you're trying to go. And she tell me all the time, you got to write stuff down. You always keep stuff in your head. So I'm, I'm like, no, it's going to work like this or whatever. So mm-hmm. when I start writing things down and where she could see them and understand it, like, it's been nothing but support. Same with my sister Lena. Like, mm-hmm. whatever way she can help my mom, like, and it's just like I could not ask for a better support system within my family. So where does that creativeness come from within your family? Like, who... Who can you attribute that to? Who did you see growing up that was that that sparked that into you to or who helped you cultivate it? Um I really I really like my mom, she was she was independent. She was a graphic designer like during the okay, during so the early point, points in time. She was on word, a window, she was on paint. She um, <laughs> not on paint. What was it? Uh, arts and letters was okay. the program at the yeah. time. And she would do like the back Baptist convention. She mm. would do big things. She did stuff with Domino's and mm. all those people. And I would sit down and she was like, you want a logo that's clean and mm. simple, but sticks out to people. Yeah. So I would sit down and brainstorm with her. Like, I feel like that helped me out a lot. Like just being exposed to that, her mm. being someone that was an entrepreneur at an early age and seeing her be able to be successful with it. That was something that was contribute towards that. And, that, and that's great because environment, <clears throat> environment basically conditions you. Yes. And it, and it sharpens you. So you had someone who was creative. And my parents are very creative people as well. But I wanted to go touch back on that logo thing for a second because we have people who are um, into the space of, of business. And again, mm-hmm. I met a lot of people who are out, out in the Vest Fest who listens, who do business. And why is it that when we, we do we want to do a logo and we want to make it the busiest thing ever? We want to throw everything in there to make you know, oh, I do this, I right. do that. Right. But when you look at the big box brands, they are very simple. Clean. And to the point. Clean. Because I think we feel like every opportunity is our only shot. So with when we do logos, whatever, like, oh, I want you to see this and I want you to be blown away by it. Mm-hmm. But it's just like if I can't read it, if you got font on the left, on the right, you got bells, you got it's bedazzled, you got right. all that stuff. Like, I, I don't know what I'm looking at and I'm not right. going to remember the name. It has like, to you, be memorable. Yes. You want people to be able to read it. My mom says you want anybody from a three year old to a 90-year-old to be able to see your logo and recognize it and be able to read it within the first three seconds. I mean, look at Nike. It's yeah. a little line. Swoosh, yeah. I don't even know what that line represents. I just know that people will kill people over it back in the day. 
Yeah. Right. Well, look, look at Apple. It's, look, it's a bite of an apple. Yeah. You know, I kept seeing you look at my Inception logo. Cause it's like my old logos, like not Inception based, <laughs> but my old company. Like I had, I had all types of busyness going. I got a brain in here. Right. And my mom's like, that looks pretty gruesome. <laughs> like, Put a lightning bolt in there. <laughs> like, what? Like, but it's just like at that time, you don't know, you don't understand branding. Facts. And most people, it took me a while to fully understand branding. And I know you. You get branding and you understand branding. So what what is branding for people to understand? Um, branding, like we go back to the word consistency. And um, you want people to be able to not really have to be able to explain. Like when you start having to explain something so, so much, you're like, you know what? I need to brand this better. Mm-hmm. Like, because if I got to say it's like, oh, I got I got a show. It's kind of like this show mixed mm-hmm. with this show mixed with that. Da, 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 da. Like. You need to brand that better and you need to be concise and you need to narrow your scope and focus on one particular element so that way you can get known for that. Like so if you like I got a barbershop with a restaurant in it, da 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 like no, just I have a restaurant. Right. And this is my restaurant right here. We specialize in soul food. This mm. is the food that we have. It's not we're not making quesadillas. We're not doing this, right. we're doing this, but it's a, a narrow scope. People can identify, oh, I know what soul food is, okay. Cool. Northern or Southern? Southern um, soul food. So mm-hmm. people know where to come. And, and, and that's that's branding to me. It's just figuring out what you're doing, your target audience, and how to be consistently in their face. And I don't know if you remember this, but when I first met you, if I think, I don't think I had the name the first mental health gym at that time. Mm-mm. I didn't. I was no. just Inception. But it was people were like, well, what is that? Mm-hmm. And I had a gentleman come, a potential investor, and he sat down with me and my mom, and he was saying, "Well, what are you?" And I'm like, "Uh, I'm like a place I got floating. I got, I'm labeling all these tools." And he's like, "Well, are you a are you a medical spa?" I'm like, "Yeah, we kind of like a medical spa, but then you know, going right. doing what you just said. Right. Look, right? man, just get in the float tank, and you understand." I'm like, "Look, man, I just need the money." <laughs> I don't need you asking me all these questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I and my my ego was hurt. Yeah. Cuz I'm like, what are you talking about? And the reason why I was hurt was because of just like, well, you kind of right. Like, yeah. but it it made me walk away and made me think. And I found myself trying to put myself in some something that already existed. Mm. Cuz I thought that's that's mm-hmm. the only way you can do that. So this this is going to be powerful for a lot of people listening to it. You don't have to put yourself in something that already exists. So I had to think about it and say, you know what? They're coming out with all these names like uh, the Gene Bar. Mm-hmm. that don't have nothing to do with a bar. Right. And I was like, well, why don't we just be? And I stopped playing around too. I was like, no, we're really dealing with mental health. So how about we be a mental health gym? Fact. And I sent that to my guy, Jason Wilson. He was like, coin that right now. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, because yeah. it's like everybody is familiar with with a workout gym where mm-hmm. you go to lift weights or whatever. So, like, why shouldn't it be the same thing for your, your mental health? Like, you right. need to work that muscle and you need to, you know, do that. And you saw. Yeah. Ever since that, that, that point where we had a, a real identity, mm-hmm. the brand mm-hmm. identity, we got the name, we got all the logo and all that stuff, but that name, that title, that identity just took us to a whole nother level. And I remember sitting in the office with you too and you was like, man, you, you should try to get Charlemagne in here. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. 
we sat in that back office and you like, you should get Charlemagne. And I thought about it and I was like, you're right. Mm-hmm. And we, I was like, well, how do we get to him? He was like, I got some people, but then yeah. you know how that go. Yeah. Then somehow, some way, got him in there. Yeah. Well, he was looking for me. Yeah. I actually. Bring it full circle. When he came to Inception, he was like, I, I found you because I looked up, I, I thought of the term mental health gym. Mm-hmm. And by that term, like he was able to see, wow, this guy has been reaching out to me. He looks like me um, and he's in Michigan. And he was like, well, I, I'm going to reach out to him. And then you said, what? He DM'd you, right? Yep. So it was all about narrowing your scope and simplifying what you were doing into one thing. He would have never found me if I didn't. And and then, too, I didn't just take the term. I put it into action. Mm-hmm. I actually went and added it to my meta tags on my website and the keywords and everything. And that's how we found it was from putting going into action. Yeah. Um. So there's always and there's always um, times where, you know, when I again, I met you, it was, you know, it was difficult. I was going through difficult times with Inception. Um, mm-hmm. And along the way, they've gotten better. But so what are some of the difficult times that you've gone through in your journey in your business? Um, just overall, just feeling like, you know, of course, I, in the in the beginning, like nobody really understood what I was trying to do. And I always have this thing where people limit my capabilities. But mm-hmm. I realize people are so focused on their stuff, they they don't, you know, they're not optimistic like, oh, you could do that or you could mm-hmm. do that. You have to literally show people what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of times I struggled with like displaying it. Like a lot of things that I did were behind the scenes or mm-hmm. weren't in front of people. So when you do stuff behind the scenes like that, which is great, which is genius, but it's a little bit harder to get the support that you need mm-hmm. because people don't know. People don't know. They just see, they just come to a comedy show like, oh, this is nice. Whatever, but if you're not going on the stage, thanking people for coming out, mm-hmm. introducing yourself, whatever, they will never know that you were the brainchild behind it. So mm-hmm. that's what I struggle with, like just getting people to to buy in. Mm-hmm. But I'm working on it now, and I feel like the world hasn't seen half of what I'm capable of doing. But it, it's definitely it's definitely on the rise, and it's just yeah. like because I am a overall creative, like mm-hmm. anything creative, my mind just works different in that way. Like that, that's a, a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Like coming up with ideas, concepts, whether it's creating clothes, creating interviews, short stories, movies, like I'm in the process of, you know, doing all these things. But a narrow mm-hmm. scope. Right. I'm starting off I'm starting off, I'm gonna relaunch Clever Vision. I took a break from it because we're doing the comedy show with COVID, mm-hmm. with all that stuff, it was difficult to maintain it. So I'm starting back off doing with my interviews. What are some of the, the inboxes you get from people? Because I know you get a lot of inboxes from people probably around the around the country, mm-hmm. or probably even around the world. What are some of the things that they they reach out to you about? They reach out to me about seeing a lot of the work that I do with the youth, like mm-hmm. with my nonprofit Vision for Change. So tell us about that. Vision for Change is a is a nonprofit. Well, I'm the oldest of three of three children. Like mm-hmm. um, my my father was incarcerated. I didn't meet my father till I was 13. My mm-hmm. mother has one brother that, that moved to Kansas. Well, she has two brothers. She has a brother in t- Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and one that moved to um, um, Kansas. Kansas, my Uncle Curtis that moved to Kansas. And I don't really have a lot of cousins. So a lot of stuff like real male role models, like I didn't really have a lot of those readily available to me. So mm-hmm. everything I had to learn was trial and error. I had to bump my head. I had to struggle in order to figure a lot of these things out as a man like my mom was great and did everything but still as a man like 
Mm-hmm. It was difficult. So I'm like, man, it shouldn't have to be this hard. Like, why is it this hard? Then I look at my little brother that plays video games. I always use this analogy. When he would play video games, it'd be games like Metal Gear Solid that'd take me a month or two months to beat. But he'd beat the game in, in, in two or three days. I said, how the hell are you beating this game so fast? He said, I just go on YouTube and mm-hmm. I watch people, you know, go through each board. And uh, and beat it. I'm like, man, that's soft. That's whack. But I thought about it. It's like it's not really <laughs> soft. Right, right, right. Man, that's soft. You don't you don't do that. You struggle. You die in the video game. Then you yeah. keep going and you rebuild it. But I'm right. just like, in life, why does it have to be like that? Mm-hmm. Just because one person struggle, like the next person should not have to struggle with those same difficulties, with those same the same problems you had. If you know me and we're close, I shouldn't have those same problems because you've been through it. You can say, look. I wouldn't recommend you going that way. I recommend you going this way. So that was like, yo, like I really wanted to use the wisdom and me falling and, and spread it to the next generation. Mm-hmm. So I started Vision for Change, which is a nonprofit that helps youth ages 13 through 18, help them find out what their natural gifts are mm-hmm. and how to turn those gifts and those passions into a career. And then cultivate them. Yeah, cultivate them and bring them around people that are like them. Mm-hmm. So it's just like if you if you're making beats and you want to be a producer, well, do you know any established producers? Yeah. So have you ever been into a real studio? Like, how are you gonna how are you gonna do this if you've never been exposed to the right people? Mm-hmm. You can do it. It's gonna take you a lot longer, but to shorten that path, I'm gonna put you around the right people. You know that I've been exposed through to through working in radios. I know doctors. I know lawyers. I know. Uh, I know um, real estate people, whatever mm-hmm. it is you want to do, I know somebody that's close to it and yeah. connect you with them. And that's that's how we've learned the opposite way, too, when you talk about generational curses. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just you seeing the person play the video game mm-hmm. and play it incorrectly. Right. But they don't learn because right. they don't have somebody in front of them passing down that information that, you know what, you took a long, wrong turn, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's just, it becomes the blind leading the blind. But by what, what you're doing with your foundation, um, your nonprofit, is that you're you're giving people the tools mm-hmm. and, the, and the visibility to see people like them doing those things. And now, oh, okay, I can see somebody do it like me. Now I, I can do it. Um, and I think that's what, that's what people need to see. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to see more people who look like us. And that's why I reached out to you, too, because I was like, I was like, man, who's this guy? Like, just some cool stuff he's doing. Because <laughs> you did some stuff with Big Shine as well. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, starting off with, with Big Shine, like, working in radio. And, you know, you see all the different artists. I seen he was, like, he was talented. He was working. Um, he had just started building a connection with um, Kanye West. Mm. And but the city didn't know know him like that. Like he went he went to cast, then he was like going back and forth to Chicago working with with Kanye. But the city outside of the cast people, like the the quote unquote DJs and the big names in the city, didn't know who he was. So mm-hmm. I would help connect them with those people. Like whoa, this guy is talented. And like his first record, um, Fresh or Go and Get You Some. I brought it to Dr. Darius, mm. and I'm just like, yo, this this kid is gonna be big. Like you need to check his music out or whatever. So he played it and he was started growing and started taking off from there. So, so you broke Big Sean. I wouldn't <laughs> you say that. You don't I wouldn't say, say that. that. But, I was saying that. But you were you were instrumental. I would say I um You played I, a hand. I played a hand in okay. um, being around being around him. So we were all learning during mm-hmm. the time. And yeah. Yeah. It was it was a dope it was a dope Do most experience. people know that story? No. 
No, a lot of people don't know that story. Mm. But, and like I said, that's from back then being in the background and just yeah. wanting the work done. It was just like, I didn't I didn't do that for any notoriety. I did that because I would want somebody to do that for me. Right. If, if, if I need if I need something and you and you have it and it's not gonna hurt you to share the the opportunity, I would I would hope that it would come back and you'd be like, yo, Des, I got that or I know this right. person. Oh, you need a you need a, a truck to move a couch. You know what my cousin has a, has a pickup truck. Yeah, just simple, mm-hmm. just looking out for. I people. think our families are alike in that way, you know, because my mom and dad, even myself, I'm I'm a natural connector. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna connect you. Um, obviously you need to have the, you need to have some value somewhere sometimes, but, but sometimes it's just, no, it's just a connection. Like, um, like you said, so you talked about, you talked about, um, you didn't meet your dad until you were 13. Correct. And you said that, um, well, you said you you didn't meet him until you were 13. So how, how did that affect you? If you can go deeper into that? Um, I think early on with my father, like not, not really being around, like it was certain stuff I would second guess myself. Because it would just be like, oh, or I don't, I don't know if I could do this or whatever. Like, I didn't have that. I didn't have my father to be like, oh, yeah, you can do this. You can knock this out. You mm-hmm. can you can do this. So I think that affected my confidence mm-hmm. and a lot of stuff. And then, like, just I got it, I got a lot of that stuff, like, later on. Like, like mid-high school, 10th, 11th grade. I'm like, wait, like, I'm actually that guy out here. So mm-hmm. I started I start building that and... Yeah, it was it was rough because I didn't know his whole side of the family. Like, okay. so I didn't know he was the only child, but I didn't know his parents. I didn't and he know. was a boxer. Yeah, he was a boxer. He was a, a professional boxer. Went to the what was that? The nineteen eighty eight Olympic trials uh, mm-hmm. with Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield. Like, he's well respected. Mm. Like for boxing in the city of Detroit with Crunk and all over. Like, he was that guy, but. He made a wrong decision um, and got incarcerated for for selling drugs, and mm. they gave him a natural life sentence in prison at 26, and he had never had a speeding ticket. So that wow. was his first first con- conviction mm-hmm. during the 80s. Like they was like throwing it, you know, throwing the book at people, giving them football nerd numbers. Never been convicted, and like that, like was like wow. Like so, I stayed away from anything that would get me in trouble, and I think. I, I guess that would be good P, uh, PTSD. I, I would need you for the term. That <laughs> good PTSD? I don't know if, if that's a term, but well, I'll say you... I stayed away from anything that would get me locked up because I was so shook and scared because I didn't want my mother to have to go to a prison to visit me. Yeah, I I think that can be, you know, helpful at times. My parents grew up in alcoholic households and growing up, man, I've never seen them ever take a drink. Mm. You know, yeah. smoke, take a drink, because they just was like, they saw the effects of that, and they didn't want anything to do with it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So so, so I guess, yeah, <laughs> that 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 could be. You know, trauma is helpful, man. People don't understand that. Really? Yeah. Trauma is not a bad thing. The, the bad thing about trauma is when you can't move on from it, mm-hmm. when you're stuck in the event, mm-hmm. you know, when things hold you back from now trying things. So even though you experienced that, it it was something that evolved you versus hurt you. Yeah. And to uh, credit to my dad, once he got out, um, it was rough because he had never been a parent. But mm. we uh, developed a, a real solid relationship. And um, I was able to bond with him through through boxing. Okay. And um, What age was that? That was, I didn't start doing that till later on, to maybe like 18, 19. Okay. You know, so... 
I did it because it allowed me to be, you know, close to him. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to do that. He was like, son, you getting good. You you thinking about going professional? I'm like, uh, no. I know those punches hurt. And I think I'm a little <laughs> bit smarter to just get punched in the head for money. No knock to any boxer, but it's just like, I, I'm creative. Yeah, I'm going to stick to this creative stuff because I'm not trying to get hurt out here. But no, that was, a, that was something that was able to, you know, help build confidence as well. Mm. Um, you know, be around professionals and go rounds with professionals in the ring and be able to hold my own to know that I'm enough mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And that was something, like I said, that I struggled with and not knowing, but that was something that really helped and, and built my confidence. Later on. Yes. Yeah. So so what did you go and create after that? After that, after that, that's when I got the opportunity for radio. Like I got mm. the radio around eighteen and nineteen and I'm like, wait a minute, like I got I got in radio, then I was able to get my dad interviews on the radio. So and- think about that. Let's think about that for a second. If you didn't connect back to your dad and have those moments, mm-hmm. do you think that would have propelled you into those radio spots? Mm, I've never, I've never really looked at it like that. But I think that that was a, a that was significant. Mm-hmm. Like to be able to, it was the building of the confidence mm-hmm. to be able to know that and to know that anything that I want to do, I can. I can make it happen. As long as it's in God's will, I can make it happen. So it's just like, try. Mm-hmm. You, you never know where you will get with a try. How was your dad when you got him on those radio spots? Um, He did good. He was a natural. So, like, just to David Lester is his name, but mm-hmm. his boxing name was Showtime. I so. never knew your dad's name was David, too. Yeah, so it's yeah. like these connections between us that I didn't even know that. So that's cool. Yeah. So he, you know, he was never shy of the camera. So he was like... He said, I'm like, why was your name with Showtime? Well, son, because every time I fought, it was a show. I'm like, okay. But <laughs> but no, he was he was great at, at boxing, and he did good with the interviews. My dad had been on 60 Minutes twice. So Were you her, his only kid? Um, I, yeah, I end up having a daughter you okay. know, after me. So I have a, a younger sister you know, by him. So how did that relationship, do you think it affected him and in, in being able to spend time with you? Um, it was, it was rough and I felt like he felt guilty. Like he would say that he was guilty because he was like, son, like if you become great, he said, I feel like I really can't take credit for that. Like all Mm. that credit goes to your mom. But if Mm. you fail, I take all the blame. Mm. I said, but we're not, we're not going to fail over here. Like we're, Mm. we're going to work. So just help me, help me succeed. And Mm. we're going to be good from there. Just like, and that's one thing. I realized too, like dealing with trauma and past stuff, it's just like you cannot change the past at all. Mm-hmm. It's cliche and you hear people say it all the time, but like you really have to get that understood that whatever you went through for the most part, you can't change it. And a lot of situations, it's not your fault. So it's yeah. just you have to make the best of what you have in front of you because you never know how long you're going to be here or your parents are going to be here on this earth. My mm-hmm. father passed in 2013. So mm-hmm. ironically, I didn't meet him until I was 13. Then he died when I was 26. So I got him to be in my life for 13 years. That's dope. So, yeah. So, yeah, we shared a dope connection. I got to know the man he was. Hmm. He got to see who I was and who I was in the process of becoming. Yeah, I was interested in, and and when I asked that question about, you know, how how did he do with the interviews, I meant more so you getting them for him. Right. Like, like, like how did that, make him feel if you can speak to that well he um he was like shocked and was like wow like my son can really like help open doors and and i've never told nobody this publicly like mm-hmm. when he passed away 
he was in the process of connecting me with a friend of his that worked for ESPN. Mm. And he was like, um, he was like, I'm gonna connect you with, with Bob. He does like live broadcasts with, with ESPN, Friday night fights mm-hmm. and all those things. And um Bob Dapper, was that his name? I, I gotta remember what Bob's last name was. Okay. But after everything with, with Bob, I um no, after him connected me with Bob, my dad passed shortly after that. Mm. So the next day when um my after my dad I finally got the news that my dad had passed, I called Bob. I'm like, yo, Bob, I didn't know if you got the news, but my father had passed away. And he said, he said, Yeah, I heard. I was gonna give you a minute before I called you. He said, But one thing I wanted you to know is that when um your dad introduced me to you, he told me how much of a great, phenomenal guy, you know, that you were mm-hmm. and how proud he was of you as a person. And that was the first time like I had broke down because mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, like I'm nowhere near where I want to be. And I really wanted him to see me like all right to where it's successful to be able to, you know, get him the new car he want, put my mom in the house or, mm-hmm. you know, make life, you know, better for him. But he I, he knew that I was a, a good guy and I was determined and mm. that I was going to be successful. Well, so. it sounded like he, you already did all those things anyway. Yeah. 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 You know, so. that's why I ask when I, I'm looking at it from an outside in, like mm-hmm. I'm watching a Netflix show. Like <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that that he felt that way already, you know, that he's already talking to somebody at ESPN. And it's a great thing when you're, um, when you're, when you can feel your parents being uh, proud of you, Yeah, you know, um, cause that makes them feel like they've done something, yeah. <laughs> you know, they've yeah. done something right. Even though th- a lot of times parents, cause I don't, I don't think you're a father, are you? No, Me no either. babies. Right. Same here. But, but I can get that sense right <laughs> from them that they, they're happy to see that you know what I didn't. I did something good, even though I probably did a lot wrong. Yeah, because I hear. I mean, you can probably ask my mom. I would, I would say something that happened to me in third, fourth grade, and she's like, "Really? She still?" I'm like, "Mom, I'm like, <laughs> I'm a grown man. I'm now. right. Really? Like, you still thinking about that? I'm just saying that this happened. Right. So and that, I, and I think with um, I say this to a lot of people like. I want to be very. I want to have a lot of notoriety, but mm-hmm. I don't want notoriety just to talk to women. I've never struggled like talking to women or to be cool, considered cool by people. Mm-hmm. I wanted notoriety for. I want notoriety for influence. Yeah. Only people that I care about, you know, I care about their opinion of me are my parents, my mother, my grandmother. Mm-hmm. I don't give a damn about like nobody, nobody else' opinion mm-hmm. of me. I just mm-hmm. want them to be proud of me or whatever, or for them to see me doing all these things and. Caring about, you know, the person that I am. So mm-hmm. I just want notoriety because with notoriety, you create influence. And with influence, I can make the right thing, the cool thing. Yeah. So I can tell them, like, no, you don't want to do it like that. Like, no, you don't want to be out here in the streets. Like, it, that's not cool to go to prison. It's mm-hmm. not cool to have 17 baby mothers. Right. You know, you want some structure to your life. Let me show you the right way to do it. And with mm-hmm. notoriety, it makes it a lot easier to connect with people. And for people to listen and hear you out. Yeah, because people follow people follow people who of some type of status. Yeah. And with that status, you have to lead people in the proper way. Correct. You know, you don't you don't want to continue that cycle. And again, be the blind leading the blind, even though you just a blind person with some money. Yeah. A lot of people know you. 
Yeah. But y'all all going to the path of destruction. So yeah. you mentioned your granny, and and I love granny, and you bring her. That's granny just girl. turned 91, right? 91 years old. Yeah. Ain't, ain't missing a beat. So oh, happy yeah. birthday, granny. And she came into Inception, and uh, I love seeing her in there and, and doing the services because people always ask me, well, how old can you be? I'm like, well, granny just turned 91. 91. So she in there doing the services, and she she wants her, uh, her youth. She wants yeah. to keep her youth. And... And that's dope that you you bring her, you take her, and you bring her, what once a week or something like yeah, that. Yeah, every every Thursday, um, I make sure you know she comes into inception. Like, mm -hmm. cause once I start going in there, I was telling you about Granny. You was like, shoot, bring Granny in here. Yeah. So I'm thankful that she can come in and and utilize the services. Like she um does the um salt therapy, mm -hmm. and that helps with her voice. Cause um, it's something going on like with her her vocal cords. Like if she doesn't do that, like it's it's hard for her her speech isn't as clear mm -hmm. so that helps her a lot she does the infrared sauna mm -hmm. um and that that helps her a lot with the with the blood flow and um just just keeping her keeping her moving and then she does the um magnosphere as well yeah so all all the stuff she swears by it she said oh d we got to go to bed because um you know we got to go to inception <laughs> in the morning so shout out to granny she she really really enjoys it. and i really see the benefits of her being in there and like you said any age mm -hmm. her being able to be 90 91 years old and those that technology able to help her and it's, it's fascinating to me right and it's, it's again it's about the consistency of it if you keep doing things and you go you're gonna gradually get better mm -hmm. you know a lot of times again we're just in an instant instant generation we want stuff just to happen right now but it's like yo keep going at it and um you know you've been you've been doing your thing for a minute man like and you just did this new project too with uh cartier yeah yeah that was a, that was a blessing shout out to a friend of mine nardo like that's one thing i'm big on is whether it's through interviews through fashion through documentaries, like I feel like storytelling is key. Like that yeah. means everything. You have to have a narrative, mm. and I think Detroit is just as talented as your big uh, uh, cities from New York to your Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. But we don't do as good of a job telling stories. We're getting better at it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of new young storytellers from the city of Detroit, mm -hmm. but that's that's powerful. So uh, Cartier reached out to my friend Nardo. And was saying like, yo, who's a part of, you know, we're part of the same team. Like, yo, we're trying to tell Detroit stories. Like Detroit is the number one market in North America for the Cartier um, lenses, like eyewear. Man, I like, would love to see their numbers. Yeah. What do you think their numbers are? It's it's stupid. They like, said they're the number one. That Detroit, the Detroit is the number one market for eyewear in wow. the country. Yeah. And that's, that's all from us buying that stuff. We ain't got not one stock. In that, no, sadly, sadly, we yeah. don't. But like before we get to that point, it's just like I was just hyped that you know we're able to tell our influence because a lot of mm -hmm. people don't even know that. Like, like you said, you just found that out, you know, today that we're the number one market for eyewear. So, well, I knew we, I knew we rocked we wear them now. Them. Yeah, I mean, I had a pair going back to high school. Yeah, you talking about ninety eight? Yeah, and when I moved back from Florida, I was hearing people was getting killed for them. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, that this became that and now they still still popular. Yeah. So when they reached out reached out to us, they said we wanted to tell original Detroit stories mm -hmm. and talk about the connection to the city and why these glasses are a thing. Mm -hmm. I said, Well, if you if you guys want us a part of the project, like we have to tell the authentic stories. Like Blade Icewood was a significant part of 
of making that brand what it is, you know, today. He helped make them cool in the city of Detroit. Mm. Yes, people in the city were wearing them, but when he put ice on his wood glasses, like, that really put a stamp. So I was able to curate that whole story. Mm. I reached out to his son, shout out to Lil Blade, and I reached out to Payroll, mm. and we came together, and we talked about it. And it's going to be a full-length um, documentary, but we put out a, a three-minute three minute teaser of what we talked about so far. Wow. So that was an incredible uh Yeah, man. I mean, for that company to even, that's a big company. Yeah. Like, they've, they've never done that with anyone in the city. Wow. They've never reached out to anyone. Like, we were the first to ever do that. When I, when I again, I lived in Miami, I went to Aventura Mall, and they had a Cartier store. And I'm from here. Mm -hmm. So I go into this store, and I'm like, y'all got a store? Right. <laughs> like, they had other jewelry. Mm -hmm. I thought Cartier was just some glasses, bro. Wow. Yeah. That's... I guarantee you, the people who listen probably think the same way. Yeah, especially from the city. Yeah, like, from the city for sure. Did you ever see a Cartier watch? No, not like that. And like we wear Rolexes in Detroit. Like we really didn't wear their their um, watch watches wrist wear like that. Like we were known for if you went to prime, you had some Cartys on and some Gators. Some Gators, yep. You know, that's a that's that's and a real. If you can get one of your uncle Rolexes or something like that, you was able to shine with that. Too. Anybody did a documentary on Gators in the city? Um, there no. you go. Yeah, that's that's something like like we got to tell that that narrative, those stories, because mm -hmm. we let other people tell our stories, and then we get mad at how we look or whatever. Right. Like these people don't say pop; they say soda. Like right. what is, I've never drank a soda. I've had plenty pop. of pop right. in my in my life, but it's just like we have to control that narrative and continue mm -hmm. to telling those stories. So that's why I'm big on doing the interviews. Um, even like comedian Kool Aid, who mm -hmm. was like a um, a mentor of ours with the comedy show who helped expose me to comedy by coming to Oak Park High School, you know, my senior year and doing the show. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, man, I like that. Then I got to meet him later on with radio and working with Josh, and he started coming to our comedy shows. And the opportunities he gave to a lot of the comedians in the city of Detroit, mm -hmm. um, bringing in big-name comedians and able to put the Michigan local comedians on the same stage as a Little Rail or... A Carlos Miller or all these, you know, big name people, mm -hmm. and just being just being a good dude, like he was an OG in the city of Detroit. So part of telling our stories, like he passed away in 2018 with cancer, mm. but I was like, he needs to be remembered, so he needed to be immortalized. So we were able to commission and do a, a mural at Baker's Keyboard Lounge of comedian Kool Aid. And you can, you know, go to the... And you spearheaded that project? Yeah, I, I put everything together. I got with mm -hmm. um, Syntex, um, the graffiti muralist. And we, we came up with the design, how we wanted it to look. Mm -hmm. um, and created ComedianKoolAid.com where you can actually go to the website and learn about him as well. That's mm -hmm. on the mural as well as a QR code. You scan it. You can go to the website, check out who he was as a person, see some of his stand-up performances and his impact on the culture and the comedy scene here in the city of Detroit. And that's dope, man. You you may be the Detroit storyteller. Man, that's hey, your, man. That's your brand. You're the Detroit storyteller. Who next? We're, What's next? Yeah, a storyteller from Detroit, I uh -huh. like to say. So, yeah, that's I'm, I'm big on that because I, I went, I was leaving Denver um, coming to Detroit, and it was a guy that was um, in line about to get on the plane with me. He was like, oh, okay, so... Where you headed? You, I'm like, I'm I'm going to Detroit. He was like, oh, I got a layover in Detroit. Why are you going to Detroit? I said, because that's where my bed is. That's <laughs> that's where I'm from. That's right. the city. And like, I don't like that disdain that other people from around the world 
oh, Detroit, oh, it's a yeah. horrible place. Like, we're some of the most brilliant people in the world here. And just anytime we get the exposure or the opportunity, we always seize it. Like, you can even look at, like, little small stuff like Flavor of Love. Like, yeah. the, the two winners of Flavor of Love were from the city of Detroit. Right. Why? Because whenever we get opportunities, we kill it from the lack thereof opportunities. So it's like, and we're going to shine out. and you, I mean, we're going to shine whatever opportunity, you know, we have. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, man, the world needs to know this. So we have to start telling these stories. So that's the journey. Well, I'm on. too, it's been again, like I told you earlier, about trauma is not always a bad thing. And, mm-hmm. we, and you know, we've had a lot of traumatic events happen in our city. Yeah, I remember being younger and hearing about Malice Green. Yeah. Everybody know Rodney King's story. Yeah, but nobody know Malice Green's story. True, he was killed. True. by the police. So, but the people don't know that story. Yeah. But we have a we've had a lot of trauma and. But at that same time, that trauma can help us move from, again, I say this all the time, post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. And so with us, we like to, you know, help the people in our city to to change that energy and move that energy from that 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 stressor to that that thing that's going to help you elevate and grow. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I lived I lived out of the state for six six years, and every time I told somebody I was from Detroit, they looked like they wanted to give me a hug. Right. I'm like, what, what, what do you think? These bullets are just flying by me right. just while I'm walking down the street? Like, no, I've never been shot before. God. Right. Like, yeah. So, but I lived in a, I had a great childhood. I keep saying that. I had a, I, my street, I loved my from street. From the east side of Detroit. From the east side of Detroit. And I keep, I'm tired of people making fun of the east side of Detroit. Like, it's just the most horrific places. But- you can go anywhere in the world and somewhere got a hood. Yeah, yeah. I went to Orlando and I was like, where they hood at? And I looked at they hood and I was like, this the hood. Yeah, anywhere you anywhere you go with lack of resources or opportunities to, to grow or education, like you're going to see a hood or you're going to see poverty. Right. So it's just like, but that has no... And they have their gyms too. Yeah, definitely. And definitely. I, I feel like we have more gyms then we do yeah. bad things, but we like to focus on the bad things, you know? Another reason why, and we have some of the most creative people, creativity is is made out of necessity. Yeah. Like, it's made, it's, it's made out of necessity. Like, why, like, during Soul Food was created because of the lack of, lack of the food. It, it's about resourcefulness. Yeah. That's yeah. what it's about. Yeah. We have to be resourceful. Yeah. Because we have lack. Yeah. So we make the best of what we have. Yeah. You know, and that's you said something early on about um, when Kev on stage was talking about if you start your podcast, whatever, like start off, you know, if if just make the best of it, what you got. Mm-hmm. I started the podcast in, in my basement, bro. I did a couple episodes in the basement, man. I got all this equipment. Then I was like, man, let me go check on the studio. But I started off like that mm-hmm. and it was cool. Yeah. You know, it was fine. But and I started my business like that too. I had like eleven, eleven hundred square feet. I had one piece of equipment. Yeah. And now people see what you got and they're like, how did you do this? Yeah. Um resourcefulness yeah. and consistency. Yeah. Every um beautiful flower has to get in the dirt first. Right. Mm-hmm. So it has the seed has to be planted. Right. So in order for you to get, you know, the praise and, and get the notoriety and the views that you want, you have to plant that seed. And it's not always pretty. You're in the mm-hmm. dirt. Like, you're in the dirt, then that dirt is watered, then it turns into mud. Then eventually, after consistency and the sun shines its light on it, you get a beautiful flower. So right. that that is needed with whatever you're doing, whatever brand or whatever you, you're, is that consistency. Mm-hmm. And using the resources that you have at that time 
to eventually somebody say, you know what? I got a studio for you to come over here and record your podcast in. Right. And be willing to work with you. So, But you have to start, like you're saying. And the stories, like you said earlier, the, the storytelling, um, that's become a, a really big thing uh, for really society. It seems like we're all becoming these brands and we're all watching mm -hmm. somebody's and listening to somebody's story. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, talk to talk about that. What do you think? Um, where is that driving us to? Um, you're talking about everybody want to do. Have but their... just looking at we all looking at each other's stories like this is we all creating podcasts. We all, you know, it's like we're all on the real world in a sense. You yeah. know, like what is but what does that do for us, though? Mentally, emotionally, I'm not sure yet. So I don't know how you can answer that question. Um, I think. I think it, you have to be one um, mindful of what you you know how you program not only what you eat but what you intake or what you watching mm -hmm. what you're viewing so you have to you have to do you have to do um a good you have to be a good you have to be a good judge of what you're intaking and what you're mm -hmm. putting what you're putting in your in your mental so just limiting it and just not watching just everything just because it's on TV Mm -hmm. And I feel like um, the good will rise to the top. Like everybody got a podcast, but everybody isn't going to be as consistent as you. Mm -hmm. Everybody isn't going to do the work and get the right guests and get the right people on the actual podcast in order to make it grow and make it turn into that flower that we mentioned. Yeah. So I think that's that's I'm I'm not really really worried about it. Just be mindful of what I what I intake and what I watch. And just have a good balance. It's cool to watch a little ratchet TV, but yeah. also have something that's going. You know, you're going to be able to grow from. Yeah. Well, bro, I appreciate you coming on, man. And um, like you said, it's it's about the consistency of it, man. And mm -hmm. and again, we we talked about consistency. We talked about you know traumas that you experience, and you know even though you experience traumas, there's going to be ways that you can overcome those things. Facts. You're going to have lack, Facts. and there's going to be ways that you can overcome that lack. Facts. I think that no matter what anybody's circumstances, there is always some support along mm -hmm. the way if you keep along the journey. And you've come in and you've supported me, and I always appreciate that. And man, I consider you my brother. Likewise, likewise, and like you, like you said, whatever you go through, it just adds to a greater story. Absolutely. Until next time, guys. You've been listening to the Inner Wealth Podcast on EYL. Theme song produced by Be Ready for West Coast Creations. I am Razcast, reminding you to take action, be proactive, be congruent, get out of the matrix, get your mind right. We've automated mental health at inception. Join the movement. Inner Wealth Podcast. Inner Wealth Podcast. Inner Wealth Podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.